Welcome to the Altruistic Traveller podcast, interviews with influential changemakers from around the world. That recycling is no longer sufficient to, to deal with these. That type of volunteering actually is proving to be more harmful. Trying to elevate poverty. I mean, they didn't see me that way. They seemed as a human being, someone who needs help. Be inspired, educated and moved by global initiatives making this world a better place. For more stories and resources, please visit thealtruistictraveler.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, I am speaking with longtime friend, supporter, and fellow content creator, Ellie Cleary. Ellie is a former corporate tourism professional turned full-time traveler. She was raised in London before falling in love with India and becoming a self-confessed India fowl. She now splits her time between the UK and India. Ellie is the founder of leading blogs, soultravelindia.com and soultravelblog.com and helps her readers plan transformational trips to India. Her work on sustainable and mindful tourism has also been featured by publications such as Lonely Planet. Namaste, Ellie. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Bianca. It's so good to be here and uh, yeah, finally doing this. Super excited. I know it's interesting for me when I get friends on the show because, you know, as much as I know about them, we can get into pretty deep conversations and I can find out more and learn more. So really grateful for you to be here today. And um, why don't we start by you sharing the story that took you to India, perhaps in the first place or perhaps holistically, and um, ignited your love for that region? Mm, yeah, I'd love to. Um, you know certain places just call to you, right? Um, I think you know this feeling of places kind of getting into your mind or perhaps it's not even a mind thing. Maybe it's kind of deeper than that. Maybe it's something that kind of lives in your subconscious. But that is the way it always kind of was for me with India. I was like, I didn't make it there until kind of relatively late, I would say, in my Asian travels. It wasn't until kind of 2015. Um, even though kind of I'd been traveling in Southeast Asia for a long time before that. And in those kind of like early Southeast Asian days, I would be flying from, from the UK to Cambodia and Thailand and places. And I would wake up on flights. And I would always wake up when we were flying over India. And I'm kind of a map watcher on flights. Um, and I would just like stare at the map in front of me and I would just wonder kind of like what lay below, like what lay waiting. So it felt like such a strong, a strong pull to go there. So um, yeah, when I was in the middle of kind of my, my corporate, um, corporate kind of work, what am I gonna do crisis um, on sabbatical, India was kind of the first place that I knew I just I just had to go to um I spent a month there and yeah I mean it was it was incredible there are you know I mean like there's so much I could kind of say about it but the place that called to me very specifically and always has done and always still does is is Varanasi so I'd, I've kind of seen about Varanasi on tv I'd seen like you know all of the rituals that happen along the Ganges and I was just like okay I have to go there and on my first trip that's you know that's where I went and it turned out to be even better than I expected so it just felt like despite kind of all of the you know 
all of the activity going on and the you know the different things like the culture shock um it just felt like an incredibly um peaceful experience for me so that was kind of like the beginning of the of the love affair I would say oh that's amazing I I think like one of the things that I've always admired about you is your ability to you know tap into that intuitive side of yourself like you mentioned that when you are flying over certain destinations, you know, you notice the way you feel. I mean, I look at people that look at maps on planes and I think, oh my goodness, if I was looking at that, I might just feel impatient (laughs) Um, and not thinking that, you know, there is um, this deeper connection that can be found. So, you know, I've I've always admired that about you. And, And I was wondering, you know, is there a relationship between, um, the way that you tap into those feelings and the reason that you uh, called both your blog Soul Travel. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so the first blog was Soul Travel Blog and the desire was to create, um, this is back in, yeah, back in 2015, uh, my main mission at that point was to really create more awareness on how it was possible to travel more mindfully and sustainably. Um I was working for a very large um, tourism company at the time, um, which, you know, I could see, and I was working with big hotel chains. They were my clients at that time. And I could see, you know, how much potential travel had to change people's realities and to change people's lives in a good way, but how hard it kind of was to actually find and book travel experiences, which were going to have a positive impact on the places that we go and the people that we interact with, as well as ourselves. So, um, so yeah, that was kind of the premise of it. And the name Soul Travel, I mean, it's a good question. It just kind of stuck. It was about creating a soulful travel experience. You know, some people at the time are like, you know, why are you calling it Soul Travel? It sounds like it's a reggae, I don't know, whatever. Um, but for me, it just felt like a more alive description of what you know, positive impact travel can be, what transformational travel can be. So yeah, super happy that um, that I kind of stuck with that. And interesting story, when I first looked to move all of my India blogs over to a separate website, I was looking for Soul Travel India to try and buy the domain, but the domain was taken by someone else. And so I kind of had to park it for a while. And a few months later, I started to, I was meditating and I started to get all of these kind of downloads around what I would like to do with a platform that was really focused on India travel, or Soul Travel India. And something in me just made me go and kind of check the domain register for, to see if, you know, soultravelindia.com was still taken. And magically it was available. <laughs> so I snapped it up and yeah, that's, that's kind of been my second website and where all of the India content lives ever since. I I think it's such a fitting name. I mean, if I think about my relationship with the word soul, I think about, you know, this depth and this um, area for exploration. And I feel like, you know, India has such a soul. Like there is just so much opportunity for exploration inside that country. Um, And also people tend to associate India, you know, with that sort of soulful spiritual discovery. I mean, you know, I 
don't mean to sound cliche, but I love Elizabeth Gilbert and she went to India and, you know, she probably um, put that association on the map. What has been your experience um, over the years of sort of going to India um, in terms of your own soulful spiritual journey? Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, eat, pray, love is such a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. Because I think so many of us kind of wake up one day and we're like, oh, there has to be more to life than this. Like, you know, we've got through our kind of 20s, we're in our 30s or maybe early 40s or whatever it is. And we start questioning, like, you know, what we've been kind of sold <laughs> as the ingredients for a, um, a sort of mainstream successful life. And many of us kind of end up, I think, curious around what really matters. And we embark on these journeys of self-discovery, which for me, India is just like the perfect place, but it also is quite specific as a destination. And I strongly believe that, you know, people, there are some people who are really called to go there and there are some people for whom it just doesn't appeal, which is fine. But if you're called, it's like this, it's kind of like this deep yearning within to go in my experience. And even people who I was speaking to a client the other day who, you know, she hadn't necessarily thought of going to India beforehand, but she ended up going to Mumbai for a month. And she was telling me that at the end of that month, she felt like this extreme pain and grief, like this grief of leaving India that she just didn't want to leave. So it's kind of interesting what happens there. My own experiences have been that, well, firstly, I just can't stop going back. Um, India has kind of been a like travel for me has kind of been a metaphor for my biggest initiations, I would say, in terms of my personal growth and growth moments and also learning to learning to surrender a bit more in life has been kind of an important lesson for me while I've been traveling over there, uh, which continues to kind of unfold. My own story has become quite entangled with India as you know, my uh, yeah, my ex-husband is Indian, so I was uh, married to an Indian for a while. Um, didn't work out, but you know, it's it's become kind of part of who I am, and I have so much love for the culture. And I think that there is so much that the West can learn from Indian culture and how it functions. You know, the importance of family, the importance of taking care of others, and really kind of that warmth and generosity which you which you see kind of everywhere we go as well. So it's multi-layered for me, really. But each place I visit tends to bring just so many new experiences and so many lessons kind of going back year after year to different places. I think you're right. I think we all have not, you know, it may not be India, but we all have an India. We all have that one place that seems to ignite our soul or maybe it's more than one place or maybe, and more often than not, it is simply the act of removing yourself from an environment that perhaps has become stagnant or that is leaving you uninspired and allowing yourself to to see more, to feel more, to do more. So I definitely can relate there. And I know that we have shared experiences um, on that part. But yeah, just going back to India. So you are you have facilitated a group where you uh, help people to plan their travels to India. Um, and I assume this is because you know you 
have decided that you want to spend half the time in India and half the time in UK. Tell us a little bit about that and, you know, the direction that you're going with that. Yeah, of course. Um, so, I mean, my blogging started kind of from the more generic sort of sustainable travel, responsible travel lens. Um, after I'd been to India a few times, this is back in like 2017 or so, I saw that my blogs, which were getting the most traction and that people were reading the most and that people were kind of responding to most, was the India content. And what I saw kind of over time was that people all had the same questions because India, I feel, is a destination which which calls to people specifically. But unfortunately, there has also been a lot of bad representation of India in Western media. Um, there's a lot of kind of focus on on poverty and, um, you know, different issues, uh, women's rights and things like that. And the media is, is not really portraying India, unfortunately, in the best light. So many people kind of come up, uh, come up against fears, um, maybe blocks, or they're just not really sure where to start planning a trip. So I decided to create a community, which is, it's just on Facebook. So on soultravelindia.com, there's a link to the community. If you're planning a trip there, would love to have you as part of the community. Um, and it's basically supporting people to take their, you know, this idea, this dream of going to India into something that is more of a tangible reality. So coming up in an itinerary, guiding people and supporting people along the way. So that's really one of my main passions in helping people actually plan their trips to India and, you know, also uh, there are many people who want to have that kind of transformational trip. They want to go on that transformational journey. It's not about just like ticking off the sites or having, you know, an amazing itinerary. There is a deeper level to it. And I think one of the things as well that keeps me going back to India and that makes it so, you know, beautiful to to focus on for, for writing is that, you know, India is like a mirror. It will give you and show you exactly what you need. And it will also kind of reflect back to you what you feel about it as well. So there is magic there. And I do believe that everyone who goes there will, will kind of, A, kind of get what they need. But I also believe that everyone who goes there, even if it's just for a few days, like it's kind of impossible not to be changed by a journey there or a trip there. So I don't know if you've had that experience, but it, it kind of feels that way for me still, even after many trips. I have. I mean... To me, India is a place of both challenge and fascination. I know that every time I go there, I'm just immensely fascinated by the vast cultures and landscapes and uh, food and all those sorts of things. And then sometimes I might find that it, it gets challenging. And as you said, you know, it is a mirror and it's a way for me that... I've started to look at challenge in my life as more of opportunity. You know, we can't just go through life willy-nilly without having experiences that, you know, prove to be difficult for us because then how would we grow and learn from those opportunities? So I I do Mm. see that. And it's been a while since I've I've gone there. And, you know, I could have gone there the first – I've been there three times. I could have gone there the first time and, you know, experienced some – challenges and then decided I'm not going back there again and and I think that that is one of the barriers that we face as human beings not only when it comes to travel but in everything is that we let fear um 
control what we do and get in the way of actually what we really want. So I am really grateful that you are creating a space uh, and a community that will allow people to overcome those fears. Um, what kind of questions do you get asked in the community when it comes to people who are on the border of wanting to make that decision to go to a place like India? Um, it might not even be a place like India. It might be a place that they feel a bit um, maybe scared or apprehensive about. What kind of questions do you get asked? Yeah, wow. I mean, there's so many. I think kind of the themes are around, well, female travel is obviously a hot topic, um, especially solo female travel, just people wanting to know, like, how to gauge if something is safe to do, like traveling around by train by yourself or traveling around the bus by yourself, or, you know, what kind of accommodations to look for. Um, food is another one. Um, people being either afraid of getting sick um, or just like not really knowing what to expect. And that's kind of a big topic for people. And then I think kind of, um, yeah, this kind of the third and fourth kind of groups of questions would be around, oh my gosh, help, it's kind of a subcontinent. Where do I even start? How could, Where can I go? And unfortunately, with, you know, as is the same with so many destinations around the world, this is not an India-specific problem, but there's kind of the same, old, same like, tired old itineraries that get repeated again and again. Um, there's, like, a kind of tour, tourist circuit, let's say, which, so in India, that's the Golden Triangle, which is Delhi, Jaipur, and Agra. And of course, like these are amazing places. Of course, everyone wants to see the Taj Mahal. Of course, everyone wants to see, you know, like the pink city in Jaipur, which is stunning. However, like these are also the places which are most used to tourists. It's where most of the scams are. It's where, you know, it can get super hot and dusty in summer. Um, and frankly, there's just so much more to India than these places. So, you know, I think people you know, people are maybe not aware of that and then just not aware of like the number of places to to go or they're kind of overwhelmed by by the by the choice and they just don't really know where to begin or how much to fit in. Um, and then lastly, I think, yeah, people kind of, you know, wondering about what to believe in terms of the fear mongering, like, are they really going to get scammed? Do they need to bargain for things? Um, you know. Uh, that kind of logistical question really yeah so so yeah does a lot <laughs> for sure <laughs> no the, the stereotypical questions that you know really could happen anywhere yeah um well I have two questions then so I know you just spent uh the earlier part of this year reuniting with that subcontinent reuniting with that country I would love to hear more uh I know you got off the beaten path I know you went away from those tourist routes and deeply connected with community so I'd love to just um hear you talk a bit about that and then also you know what that was like for you traveling alone um as a solo female traveler given that that is a question that comes up quite often from the community and perhaps from somebody listening yeah, of course, of course. Well, for me, the most rewarding part of travel in India is connecting with with families and um, and local culture, little in, in sort of more off the beaten path and in, in smaller places. And so, homestay is absolutely amazing to to use as a way to to really kind of do that. Um, even within bigger cities, so you know, if people are going for the first time to India. 
and they still kind of want to do, you know, a Rajasthan trip or, you know, with, with some of the major cities like Jaipur, Jodhpur, Udaipur, places like that. It's still possible to kind of get away from the crowds and, you know, experience family life just by staying in a homestay. So that's that's something that I love to do. And there are some beautiful homestays that I stayed at this time around in in Rajasthan. My highlight, I would say, from this trip in terms of kind of community, responsible tourism, were some of my wildlife experiences. So I, people may not be aware, but India is actually home to 7% of the world's biodiversity. And it's so important for the global wildlife conservation situation that wildlife is protected in India. Uh, it's obviously home to Bengal tigers, which still live in the wild. They have leopards as well, elephants in, south, in the south of India. But beyond that, the biodiversity is just incredible. But because of the um, huge population growth that's going on there and the expansion of cities, there's often, very often you know, direct conflict um, and competition for land between humans and animals. So there was an amazing leopard conservation project, which I visited in Rajasthan um, in a region called Jawai, which is J-A-W-A-I. And the place I stayed at was called Bira Safari Lodge. And the owners of that had pretty much single-handedly recruited different stakeholders from the local village community to try and rally against mining that was happening in the area, which is basically driving all of the leopards out. And this is on the edge of kind of the desert in Rajasthan, ideal landscape for leopards with desert and lots of rocky outcrops and things like that. But, you know, the mining companies were coming in and the leopard population was just in free fall. So the owners of this lodge started lobbying, um, created petitions at local government level. And eventually, after many years of hard work, around 10 years ago, they finally designated um, Bira as a leopard conservation area. And it's now being used for leopard safaris, um, which, you know, visitors can go, they can go in a jeep, and they can view the leopards from a from a respectful distance, you know, leopards are free to, it's, it's not even kind of an enclosed area at all. So leopards are free to come and go. And as a result, the leopard population has increased significantly. I think it's, yeah, I'll have to look up the numbers. But yeah, it's an incredible story. So really kind of hearing things like that, which has obviously had a positive impact on the wildlife, but also on employing people from local communities with the, um, with the tourism that now brings in. Um, and I would kind of say in the same vein as well, um, Madhya Pradesh in central India is one of the states which is really, really committed to responsible tourism. Uh, there are many national parks where you can go on safaris to see tigers and other wildlife. And it's just such an incredible experience kind of staying at lodges, when of, many of which are sustainability minded as well. You employ local villagers as guides. Um, there is also there are also some which work with uh, more tribal communities in the area as well to spread the positive impact of tourism there. So if you get a chance to do a wildlife experience in in kind of one of those places, especially Madhya Pradesh, I really highly recommend it. It's it's such a beautiful experience which can really remind us of the importance that India plays as well in you know global conservation. So yeah, that was definitely a highlight. And I think, yeah, your second part was asking about um, about solo female travel, which I've been doing for most of the last kind of eight years in India. So it's interesting to see how things have, have kind of changed 
Um, I personally, my personal feeling is that things are getting easier. Um, I do see so many more solo female travelers now within India from, you know, of Indian origin. So women getting to explore their own country, which is absolutely amazing to see. Um, And we're still quite rare to see even kind of like seven, eight years ago. And also, of course, you know, with people coming and exploring India from from elsewhere, um, from other countries. So in general, I mean, everyone has a slightly different philosophy. My own personal philosophy is that, you know, probably 95% of people that you meet are probably good. I've certainly had, you know, 99% of the people I've met and had interactions with while traveling solo have been, you know, trying to look out for me, trying to help me um, rather than, you know, cause any trouble or so. But of course, you know, in a country which is still patriarchal in nature or the society is still patriarchal in nature, um, solo female travelers are not as common and the attitudes towards women can vary radically between different different states and different areas of the country so you know in Goa you can wander around in your shorts no problem and no one will bat an eyelid Mumbai you know it's it's also a super safe city for women in general the south of India is pretty laid back as well Uh, whereas if you go to remote villages in say Uttar Pradesh which is the state where Agra is there is much more conservative attitude um, towards women there so it is a destination where you kind of need to be aware of where you are and really to kind of tap into observation to see how women are behaving locally what they're wearing um, you know how to fit in and to kind of really tap into your intuition as well like does someone have good intentions? Are they trying to help you or do they have a bit of a like maybe creepy energy around them? So I think it's a really great place to kind of strengthen that relationship with ourselves and ask ourselves like, do we feel supported? Do we feel safe? And it is a place as well where you also need to be prepared to adapt your behavior a little bit as well. So I don't, I mean, I don't recommend anyone to go wandering around by themselves late in the evening. Um, while traveling alone whether it's walking down a beach in Goa at night by yourself or whether it's you know wandering around Delhi late at night it's just not a good idea Um, so things like that are you know important to be aware of and the most important thing is really just research ahead of time if you take a few minutes to read if you take a minute a few minutes to just kind of um, you know research into where you're going book airport transfers ahead of time so you know who's meeting you then those sorts of things can really just kind of help remove any kind of fear and make you make sure your trip goes smoothly thank you that is such sound advice um i resonated so much with what you were saying when i was in india which was many years ago now in 2016 i remember traveling with a bunch of backpackers across the whole of southern India. So there are many people there traveling. Um, I think it is really wonderful that you also recognize, you know, some of the cultural differences between different regions. I do know that India has a very largely growing progressive society. There is absolutely an abundance of social and and environmental entrepreneurship going on there. Um, you can see that there is an, even a focus on, you know, environmental com- conservation, which I love those stories that you were sharing about the homestay. I think 
staying in a homestay can be a huge advantage not only to local communities but to you know the traveler um, themselves because of the way that we are able to just you know learn about the way that other people live so um, I really appreciate you sharing all that and and I I wanted to just um, move back on to the topic of uh, intuition you were talking about how you know tapping into that is a strength that we have and something um, so strong I think especially in women we have a very strong intuition and you and I mm. we exchange voice notes over you know the, the our signs and our dreams and tapping into our intuition um, you were mentioning being and feeling called towards um, Varanasi. Tell us a little bit about how that has come up in more recent times for you. Yeah, um, I think we've been, you know, talking a bit about how certain places keep coming up in our dreams and our visions and things like that. Uh, for me, somehow in my in my visions, I'm always drawn back to Varanasi. For me, it's a very special place, and it's it's obviously. Um, for those who know it, it's obviously a very profound um, spiritual place as well. If you're not familiar, it's one of the oldest um, continuously inhabited cities in the world. And you go there and you can just feel this history and this power and this potency. And for Hindus, it's also one of the most powerful places. Um, it's believed that if you if you die in Varanasi or if you're cremated in Varanasi, then you will be released from the cycle of reincarnation and you will achieve moksha or liberation. So it has this huge mystical energy about it. But it's interesting. I've also been working with, um, as I've been learning astrology over the last few years, I've also begun working with something called astrocartography, uh, which I know we've also talked about. And that is basically a representation of where the different planets were located on the map at the time of your birth. So we each have these locations where the planets were and these lines that they form, which go through the world and they hold different energies for us. So that is something which I've been exploring and tapping into and helping other people tap into as well. Um, and I, I laughed when I saw that my, my Venus line goes straight through Varanasi. And I was like, well, that explains a lot then. Um, Venus, obviously, you know, is, is one of the most beneficial planets out there. She stands for abundance, pleasure, wealth. So she has a lot going for her. Um, just generally things feeling relaxed and easygoing. So it was kind of interesting. Um, I'm also a Taurus sun, so my ruler is, is Venus. And it just made total sense to me to see that that kind of line went through, the Venus line went through Varanasi, and that's kind of why I'd been feeling that strong call to go there. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how this all kind of plays out and how we tend to be drawn to these places which have aspects for us, so which have lines going through them. Uh, they're not always easy energies. Sometimes we're called to places with more challenging energies for us as well. So it can kind of work both ways. Yeah, I've loved being taught by you about astrology and being able to kind of connect the dots, if you will, or bring in this meaning of alignment with the planets. And, you know, I love our voice notes back and forth, how we tell each other about how we're feeling on the full moon, like last night's strong full moon. Um, I think that the fact that you um, are really embracing this modality and allowing others to 
feel connected not only to themselves but to the world around them um, is such a positive thing. And I think you mentioned around feeling into that connection and that intuition of the alignment and then using tools like astrocartography. Um, how has that played uh, shown up and played up in in your travels recently and over the years and have you been able to make those connections sort of looking back um, on your journey until now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, what I would say is that if you feel a call to go somewhere, just go there. Like it's for a reason. I really, I mean, if it's somewhere practically that you can go, I mean, if it's if it's a war zone or something, obviously don't. But, you know, I feel that we are called to places for a reason and we can't always know that reason ahead of time. Uh, but it's also, for me, kind of looking at the astrocartography side of things, like it has made so much sense to me, like why, you know, why I've had such different experiences in different places. And the wonderful thing is as well is that nobody, no two people's astrocartography is the same because it's all done based on your time of time and day of birth. So we all have the same lines, but they're in completely different places. So I could have the most amazing time of my life, like on my Venus line of Varanasi, for someone else it might be there, um, it might be their Pluto line and they might hate it, which would be which would be probably more consistent with, you know, Varanasi's energy of death and rebirth, which is what Pluto stands for. Um, but yeah, equally, so I, I spent a couple of years over in Canada and I was on Vancouver Island, which was the most beautiful place um, and had so much going for it, but I felt very lonely and it was a very tough kind of time in my life. Um, I was going through a lot of lessons. And then when I kind of dug into the astrocartography, I was like, oh, I'm living on my Saturn line. So those of you familiar with astrology will know a bit about Saturn energy, but it's Saturn is boundaries and restriction and it can be it can be isolation as well. It's the planet that kind of wants to make sure that we've we've sat down, we've worked with our karma, we've done our homework. So if you're if you want to go like on a <laughs> on a nice relaxing break, then it may not be kind of the ideal energy to to work with. But that said, I want to make sure that, you know, and how I'm talking about the planets and the different lines that, you know, it's clear that every every line and every planet has its has its positive beneficial aspects and each has its its shadow side as well. So there is no that's the thing there, you know, in our search for where we're meant to be, which I think is really why we're all here and what we're all about. There is no perfect place. And we know this. <laughs> But there is a perfect place for right now, perhaps. There is a perfect place for what we need to learn at this moment. There is a perfect place for the next thing that we have kind of signed up to work on. So, yeah, it's been super interesting in that perspective. And I know we were chatting about your amazing marathon that you've just done as well in Sierra Leone. Um, I don't know if you want to tell that story. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, I was yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I think you should tell the story because it's super cool. <laughs> well, <laughs> and yeah. just know, I decided to go to Sierra Leone before this happened. <laughs> <laughs> which which is just, it just makes it so much more magical, doesn't it? But um, yeah, I mean, we were basically looking at Bianca's astrocartography and at this point she had signed up to go on, and run this marathon in Sierra Leone and I mean, I'm deeply in awe of anyone who does stuff like that because it's just, you know, from the physical exertion side of things, but also just, you know, uh, that kind of travel. Um, I really think that's amazing, Bianca. So, yeah, so much respect for you doing that. 
but when we looked at the lines on the map, we saw that <laughs> that your Mars line, literally the Mars line, I think it was Mars line on the ascendant as well, because there are different versions of the lines. So Mars line on the ascendant is all about the body and the self. And so you'd literally signed up to run the marathon in the very place where your Mars line went through, which was just incredible because Mars it represents physical activity, drive, exertion, courage, basically, the inner warrior s like everything you would need to run a marathon. Um, so, yeah, that was just magical to see and how even if we're not kind of necessarily familiar with astrocartography, like on some level, our intuition is so spot on and our souls are just so wise really um so that was beautiful to see and then I think when you got there right you ran even further than you intended to is that right I did I did (laughs) I was thinking that first of all I never run more than eight kilometers in my life I went so when you mentioned earlier in this conversation you said the words if you feel drawn to go somewhere so long as it's safe to do so go there and my year just started off like no other. I was in Malta um, living um, in a country where my father's from. And one afternoon I found this, I followed this these breadcrumbs through a website and it said marathon in Sierra Leone. And for some reason I just decided I'm going to do this. I've wow. never ran more than ten eight kilometers in my life. I hadn't been to West Africa before. And I just decided, let's just do it. And then, yeah, we were sitting together about three weeks ago and it turned out that my Mars line went directly through, not the country, the actual village that I ran. <laughs> and it was it was magical. And, you know, I, I just feel like it's nice to feel connected to something more than you know, more than we think that there is and and call it intuition, call it the cosmos, um, call it fate, call it whatever. I, I think it is really beautiful. And, you know, I'm always inspired by by not only your journey, but the journey of many people in my life and people that just kind of show up and say, you know, let's do this. Let's listen to the signs of what's around and and follow um, those clues to lead us to wherever it is we ought to be going. Um, So I know that you are offering astrocartography readings along with your assistance to people who are looking to travel to India. Share, if you'd like to share with our listeners how we can find out more. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So if you're interested in having a reading with me, I do a live reading. It's 40 minutes. We look together at your astrocartography for, um, it can be for a trip to India. It can also be if you're considering relocating or for another trip. Um, so it can be anywhere in the world, really. Um, we'll spend some time together going through that and also accessing um, any kind of wisdom that wants to come through, through Oracle or Tarot as well. Um so yeah, to find out more about that, you can go to soultravelindia.com forward slash oracle. So yeah, that's where you can find out more about that. And soultravelindia.com has all of the information for either joining the community or getting help with planning um, and lots of blogs on it as well. So yeah, thank you for asking. No worries. Um, thank you for sharing. I just wanted to finish up with uh, talking a little bit about the recent poem that you shared, which deeply touched me. 
you've been on this journey to understanding, you know, where is home? And this poem mm. that you that you shared also resonated with me so much. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. For anyone who wants to hear the poem, they can go into Soul Travel blog, uh, Ellie's Instagram. What mm. what inspired you to share that? Thank you so much, Bianca. I'm just receiving your um your warm words. Yeah, it's really beautiful. So yesterday was full moon in Sagittarius. Um, Sagittarius is, yeah, it's probably my favorite, my favorite zodiac sign. I mean, I know we're not, I mean, of course, every sign has its unique medicine and, and beautiful wisdom to share and its shadows as well. But um, yeah, Sagittarius is the, it's the philosopher, the teacher, the explorer. It's, it's, it's medicine is being on the great cosmic quest of life. Um, always looking for something looking for looking for nothing very less than the deepest truth that lies within us and that is something that resonates with me so deeply um if we want to be if we want to go into the astrology I have my midheaven which is your like career point is in Sagittarius so you know it helps me to feel I'm also following my calling so yesterday was full moon in that so it kind of I guess triggered this energy within me uh, which made me feel very alive in terms of the exploration and the quest. And for me, it feels like my life's quest is is very much the search for home, the search for belonging as someone who, growing up, I suppose, never really felt like they fitted in and has been blessed to be able to live in many different places apart from the UK and India. Um, you know, my my question, which seems to come up again and again, is where do I truly belong? you know, where is home? And that's also why I started offering the astrocartography readings as well, because I realized that I was very much not alone with this question. And especially, I think, in these kind of, you know, these since, since you know, the COVID era, um, we have all had a lot of time to think. And we, in many ways, have been deprived of our community. Things are now getting, you know, better in that regard of being able to meet people again. But it is that question for many people of like, where do I truly belong? Where, where are my people? Um, where is my soul? Where do I feel home? Uh, so, so yeah, for me, that has been a huge question. And just witnessing the parts of me that feel home in different places. So the part of me that feels at home in my place in Goa, the part of me that feels at home in London, which is the city that I grew up in and I know pretty well still even though it's changing every day um the part of me that misses the home that I found in Amsterdam when I lived there the part of me that misses living in Canada um the part of me that feels most at home when it's on a long train journey so it's trying to witness all of those parts and actually be okay with that search for home and to also truly deeply understand that once we've been on this great quest scaling mountains and crossing deserts and taking trains and planes and whatever else we come to realize that home is of course within it's an inside job so so yeah it was it's kind of inspired by by all of that stuff and I'm pretty sure some of that is uh, it might resonate with you too from our our conversations just get my cat to pass me the tissues right now (laughs) (laughs) no it's beautiful it's beautiful I, I think that a lot of us can resonate you know we're constantly looking outwards we're searching searching but we're all just a makeup of the beautiful experiences that we've had and that we may have no matter where they are um so 
No, I, I thought that was beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing. And I think it's a great way to end this discussion. Um, for anyone listening, I will leave all of Ellie's details in the podcast description. If you like these interviews uh, with influential change makers from all walks of life, from all over the world, please like and subscribe to the Altruistic Traveler podcast. Namaste, Ellie. Thank you so much for being on the show and for being my friend. It's so great to have you. Oh, namaste, Bianca. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening and see you on the other side.